1: All right. Welcome, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the week. John Scholes here, along with Martin Willems and Darren Saul, both these gentlemen, courtesy Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, uh, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. We are talking about disability law. You probably don't know a whole lot about this topic. That's why we do this show every week, and we have been doing so for for many, many years. You want to reach out anytime and uh, send an email to the guys. Maybe it'll appear on another show in the future. It's help at disabilityrights.ca. There's also a website with really easy to use memos on topics under the ltd banner simply go to ltdfaq.ca and there's always the phone number to get a hold of martin and his team or darren and his team as well always ready to have a conversation with you no pressure at all one 821 5900 lots to get through including emails are coming in fellas but we always start off with the case of the day or a week that was uh, martin what do you got pal what's going on
2: Thanks, John. Well, this week, uh, we're fortunate to say that we've got two interesting week that was questions. Um, Mm -hmm. The first one is something that we speak about regularly on the show, and it's something that we see more and more of. So, we could actually spend a whole show speaking about pre-existing conditions, but I did want to speak about this question and then give some context as to how pre-existing conditions are viewed by insurance companies which is a very different way than the general public would view them. So this question comes from Randy in Sechelt, and he says, I apply for long-term disability benefits under my group policy I have with my employer. I had worked for another employer for 10 years and then was headhunted to join my current company. I have been living with depression for many years, but my depression had been stable all through my employment with my previous company. I take antidepressant medication, which has been prescribed to me for years, and manage to work throughout. When I started with my new company, I found it difficult. I developed anxiety, which I had never taken medication for before, although I have had counselling in the past. My anxiety got so severe that I went off of work after nine months with the new company. The insurer denied my claim saying that because I had not been covered for more than one year under this new policy with a new employer, my condition is pre-existing and they don't have to pay me. I agree that I have had depression for many years, but it was stable and it was the anxiety that made me stop work. Is there anything I can do? As I've said, we've had and we continue to have similar questions on a weekly basis from people who do contact us at one of our offices. We are in BC, Alberta, and Ontario. And this is a difficult thing for people to navigate. So I, I want to speak about disability claims, and we'll speak about Randy's situation, but let's speak about pre-existing conditions just for a moment. The basic point to start off here. this is based on a policy which is a contract. In other words, your your disability policy that you have with your employer, the group policy, is a contract, and it sets out rights, obligations, terms, and provisions. And for the most part, basically all of these group policies will have a provision that is called a pre-existing condition exclusion. Now, obviously, you have to look at each individual policy, but for the most part, it would say that if you go off of work, within the first year of having coverage, not from the first day that you started work with the employer, the first day that you have had coverage under the policy. So if you, have, if you go off work within, having, within that first year of having coverage, then the insurance company can examine your medical history to see whether your condition is a pre-existing condition. Now for most people, pre-existing would mean it's something that I've had in the past but remember this is a contract and this contract depending on each policy will explain and define exactly what pre-existing is so generally pre-existing would be if there were a time frame and it may be 90 days, it may be 180 days, it may be a 13 week window during which you had medical treatment or you were prescribed medications for the disabling condition then it is, in terms of the policy, a pre-existing condition, and the insurance company can deny your claim based on that. But the onus is on the insurance company to prove that it is a pre-existing condition. And as you can see with Randy's case, it's never really clear-cut. So even when we speak to doctors and we try to explain to them what the pre-existing condition in a contractual sense is, there's some difficulty to understand what that means because you do want to go back to, you know, just the general word, pre-existing condition, thinking that's something that has been long standing. But it has to be within that contract. So in Randy's situation, Randy had depression for, or has been having depression for many years, and that depression was stable. Then, Randy was also on medication, which helped him keep his depression stable. He then went to work with a new company, started having anxiety, and the anxiety became so bad that he went off of work. I am sure the insurance company looked at this, noticed that he also had some counseling at some point, and is finding something in those records to make them think that they can deny the claim based on this pre-existing exclusion. But it is absolutely crucial that we sit down and look at the clinical records to see whether this is actually a pre-existing condition because he, if he had been managing the depression for such a long time he was not disabled then a new other mental health condition came into play it's not reasonable it's not just and it's not fair to deny the claim based on a mm-hmm. pre-existing depression if that is what's happening here so number one call us we can look at the policy We can look at the medical history, and we will look at the denial letter to see whether this actually is a pre-existing condition within the meaning of the policy. And you know, sometimes people do go to the doctor. I can use an example um, that I've used before. Um, You go to the doctor to report how things are going, right, to just give an update. Is Mm -hmm. that treatment within the meaning of the policy? Because pre-existing normally does require some treatment. There's an arguable case to be made there. So the message is... If your claim is denied based on a pre-existing condition, and you have in your mind, yes, I have had this this condition for a long time, there's no hope, don't accept the denial on its face value. Have somebody like us, one of our lawyers, assess the claim on a free basis to see whether this actually is a just denial. Because I can tell you this, many, many of these denied cases that are denied based on the pre-existing exclusion... Really should not have been denied, or at least there's an arguable case that it is not pre existing. Darren and I have had discussions over the past few weeks because we keep having cases like this, and there's also an interplay between chronic pain and depression. So uh, it really is a f- fact by fact analysis. Uh, I'm not sure, Darren, if you want to add to that and speak about maybe the interplay between chronic pain. And mental health illnesses, and how that is assessed by the insurance companies.
3: Sure, and, and and I mean, you've you've hit obviously all the main points right on the head. There, it's it's it is a complex analysis, and where you've got long standing conditions that, that perhaps are stable uh, in, in terms of uh, Randy's situation where he's got depression that was stable for years. If you have individuals who have uh, physical ailments like chronic pain, uh, fibromyalgia, things of those natures which are, are longstanding, maybe kind of diffuse without uh, you know a focal point in the body and, and general pains have been happening for years, you know, the, the key is the contractual language and the key is to look at uh, what's new. So, if something was managed before and you were not disabled, then all of a sudden you became disabled. Something else happened, which either uh, added on to that condition or, or you know, is, is somehow related. Uh, if you have depression and, and you all of a sudden get worse anxiety, or you've got um, chronic pain that was managed and now you have sleep issues that have, uh, you know, are feeding into depression or, or mental health issues. Um, you know, these are very, very tricky and very, very specific concepts. Um, where it's not as simple as to say, oh, you had a condition beforehand, uh, and this is the natural inclination of people when they hear this from the insurance company, and it may not even be, uh, you know, a, a malicious way to look at it. It's, it's they look at it and say, okay, you had this condition before, you, you, this condition is in the pre-existing period, the contractual period, um, we're going to deny you. And sometimes you know most of the time the analysis, well, more often than not, the analysis is not that simple. It is complicated, it's tricky, uh, even for people who have been doing this for years. And like Martin said, we've been talking about this uh, re- more recently in the last couple of weeks, um, you know because it does come up and and it does require a great deal of analysis. so so do call us. you know you don't lose anything by calling us. You know, it's a free consultation. You send us your stuff. we We review everything, we dig into it, we have a chat. And, um, you know, at least at the end of the day, even if there's nothing we can do, which is in very few of the cases, um, you've got some closure. um, But in most cases, you will realize that you do have a claim. You do have something you can pursue, some compensation, um, you know, if not a full claim. So, you know, you don't lose anything by calling, Um, maybe just a bit of time and, and, and speaking with us.
1: And how do you do that, guys? Very simple to reach out to uh, Martin or uh, Darren anytime. covering the West Coast, of course, practicing across Canada. Sanfiru to market does uh, pretty much. Reach out by uh, by phone, uh, 1-855-821-5900-help-at-disabilityrights.ca is the email address. We're going to go to here momentarily. we got another uh, case or at least another matter to talk about before we do that. And there is a, uh, another venue, another website for you to use. It's been constructed free of charge and anonymous, and it's called My Disability Questions. Dot .com what you do there is instead of uh, vocalizing your question you could type it into the uh, the mydisabilityquestions.com website If it's been asked before or you're not sure, you can find out, you can search it. So it's got a searchable database, which is kind of cool. You can use that, mydisabilityquestions.com. Lots more on the way and more emails as we'll take a short break here and get back into it. More Disability Law Show is on the way.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: All right. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along, hopefully for the duration of the hour. You want to reach out to Martin Willems anytime after the show or Darren Saul, you can do so. How do you do it? 1-855-821-5900. That uh, call will cost you nothing just to have a quick chat and get a little bit of information, carry on from there. If you like the option of email, that is help at disabilityrights.ca and just the firm website, disabilityrights.ca. Across the top, you'll see Knowledge Center and the black banner across the top. If you click on that, you get a drop down menu. And from there, you can search out past radio shows and uh, our long-running TV show as well can be found at that spot as well. Again, uh, disabilityrights.ca. But we'll get to email here very shortly, guys. i got a bunch to read out. But, Martin, you had another case you wanted to chat about first, pal. Go ahead. What is it? You know,
2: in the age where we see so many uh, disability claims related to mental health, I think this is an important one to speak about so that people, again, understand what their rights are. Uh, This one comes from Mike in Edmonton, and he says, I used to manage a group of 60 people. I was great at my job. Another company bought the company I worked for, and I increased my hours to ensure that the transition was smooth, and I wanted to protect my team as there were layoffs in the cards. I carried on working like this for months. I started to develop anxiety and panic attacks, and I believe I had a mental breakdown. I never thought something like that could happen to me, as I was never sick and felt as a Type A personality, I was managing just fine. This experience has been humbling. I am receiving LTD benefits, I am attending counseling, but I just cannot get over this. I have chest pains, panic attacks, and I now have social anxiety as well. The insurance company called me to discuss the upcoming change of definition. I thought the call was going to be collaborative and supportive. But the case manager yelled at me and told me I am not taking steps to get better and I am not following treatment advice. This simply is not true. Following the call, I had another panic attack and I have seen both my therapist and doctor both were concerned about how I was treated and the effect it had on my condition. The insurance company said they need to have another call with me. I do not think I can handle it. My anxiety is at a peak. I asked if if we can communicate in writing and the case manager said no. They have to speak with me. Is there any advice you can give me? So again, in an age where we see an increase in mental health claims, lots of them related to anxiety, this is a question that we see on a fairly frequent basis. Now, Mike is in a very, very serious position here. He is living with what sounds to be some form of anxiety disorder, maybe with some form of PTSD as well. He's being treated by his family doctor. He's seeing a therapist. He's going for counseling. He's doing what he can. He has been on LTD benefits for a period of time, and he mentions the upcoming change of definition for those who do not know what it is. Generally, under most group policies, you would have the first two years of your own occupation where you have to prove you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation. And if you remain disabled beyond those two years, then you have to prove that you cannot perform the duties of any other occupation for which you have the transferable skills. And uh, Mike's situation, he was clearly in a managerial role, so was a stressful job, was putting in many hours, has a type A personality, clearly was pushing and pushing, and he reached a breaking point, and he's still living the effects of that. He's being treated from the stands of it appropriately. And the insurance company is now assessing whether he continues to will continue to meet the definition of tot- total disability within the meaning of the policy by seeing whether he can perform the duties of another occupation. Doesn't sound like he can, considering that he continues to have panic attacks. Remember, the any occupation phase has to be something that is similar based on your education training experience that you could do as to, compared to what you were doing before. I have seen this situation every now and again, where the insurance company might become more aggressive during this phase because they do want to see whether they can get people back to work or find evidence to support that the person is no longer disabled from the definition of working in any occupation. In this situation, Mike, who has a panic issue, a panic disorder probably, uh, is being faced by an aggressive case manager who he says yelled at him and is accusing him of not being properly treated. So that's not what you do with somebody who is living with a mental health illness, who has anxiety and panic attacks. Uh, these case managers, for, from what I understand, Journey really has training as to how to deal with people with mental health disorders. And what's happening here is exactly the opposite. Nice. So the question then becomes how does Mike deal with this? Because the insurance company is insisting that they should speak with him. Now, I've seen many disability policies, and I haven't seen one where there is a right like that, where the insurance company has the right to insist on verbal communication. The insurance companies can insist on continuing to adjudicate the claim, continuing to get updates from the insured, but in a situation where the interaction, the verbal communication between the person who is making the claim, in this case Mike, and the case manager representing the insurance company, in those cases where that interaction Is creating a worsening of the condition clearly it doesn't serve anybody it's not helping the insurance company and it definitely isn't helping Mike his condition is getting worse his therapist is concerned his doctor is concerned so he's now asking them can I just communicate with you in writing because receiving these phone calls is pushing me over the edge and they say no my advice on this would be Mike go speak to the therapist and the doctor again get letters from them in writing to confirm what they have said to you already, that this interaction is not helping your situation, it's actually worsening your condition, and that they both advise that all communications moving forward should be done in writing. And if the insurance company is insisting on verbal communications in spite of those written letters from your treatment providers who know you well and who are in a position to give you medical advice, and this would be part of that, because their job is to keep you healthy and to have you help improve your condition, not to have you put in a situation where things get worse. If they still insist on that, then be in touch with us, because that may open the door for, if there were to be a denial, a claim for potential damages. Remember, at your end, making a claim, you've got a duty to uh, you know, adhere to medical treatment, follow through mm-hmm. with proper medical advice, And that's your job, and that's what you're doing. His focus is on his health. And the insurance company at the other end, they have to assess the claim, and their job is not to make things worse. And unfortunately, that's what's happening here. And if this continues, I don't see how this claim is not going to be denied, and I don't see how there is not going to be a claim for damages in a situation like this. So I know it's a difficult time, Mike, but I would suggest taking those steps, and if if that does not help, be in touch with us because
3: I'm sure we
1: can assist further. Darren, what do you think about all that? Sounds crazy.
3: Yeah, I mean it it, it does and and uh, you know I'll just echo Martin there with, with his points. I've had claims like this in the past where Um, You know, adjusters uh, may be too exuberant perhaps in in communicating and it causes an issue with someone who's experiencing anxiety or or, or something else along those lines Um, and, and I've done the same thing. I've had them get notes from treatment providers, letters explaining why verbal communication is exacerbating the problem, why it's not recommended moving forward from a medical and treatment perspective. Um, You know, from the insurance side, they may be thinking, well, this person just doesn't want to talk to me and that's not allowed under the policy. But but there's a medical reason for it in Mike's case, especially. um, And he has to communicate that. And like Martin said, if he communicates that and the insurance company persists, get in touch with us because it seems like from their end, they're setting up a denial. And and from your end, you'd have to you know protect yourself. And, and the way to do that would be to speak with us so we can get things set up for your claim because you will have a claim for damages in, in, in that sense and in that case, um, you know, and you shouldn't have to deal with that We're written communication is just as effective as verbal. It gets the same information across, especially if it's treatment stuff or you're talking about mm-hmm. what kind of work you may be able to do if you're going into the any occupation phase or, or things like that. That can be done. Anything that can be done verbally can be done in writing as well. Cool. So There's no reason to insist. Nicely done,
1: guys. Mike, appreciate uh, your time as well. You want to follow up with that phone call. Advised you do. Always one 855 821 Fifty nine hundred. Let's move down to uh, first email for the one guy. Says, "Hey guys, in terms of an IME, independent medical examination done by an insurance company, is it only for one day or can it be for longer periods?" God, hope it's one day.
3: So I'll hop in on this one here, and and so IME is done by insurance companies. That refers to an independent medical examination or evaluation that is done by a number of, well, any number of doctors. So uh, typically under terms, uh, the terms of your contract, the insurance company is allowed to send you there will be a term in there allowing them to send you for independent medical examinations or evaluations. And depending on what your disability is related to, if it's chronic pain, if it's uh, mental health, if it's psychological, if it's cognitive, there there are certain specialties that will take over. So they may send you to a psychiatrist if there is a mental health component. They may send you to a physical uh, medicine and rehabilitation doctor if it's uh, chronic pain. Um, or an orthopod if it's um you know to do with broken bones or any orthopedic injuries so they'll send you to this person to get an evaluation of your injuries your diagnosis your prognosis which is really the one that they're they're interested in and and they can i mean to directly answer the question they can last for only a day there are ones that can last for longer Uh, it also depends on how it's split up for example if you are only able to sit or focus for 2 to 3 hours at a time some examinations like functional capacity evaluations they they can sometimes take up to 8 hours um wow. and so that may be that may be split over days but i think if you're if you're faced with something like this and you know the the bulk of these are about an hour an hour to two hours, the, the, I would say the, the vast majority of them fall within a one to two hour examination window. If you get a, a letter like this from your company or from, from the insurer, you know, reach out to us, like, like Martin said, like like Savannah always says on these shows and, and like I've said in the past, you know, the consultation is free. Send us your documents, have a call if you're worried about it. If there is something about the letter that, that screams, uh, you know, a concern to you, reach out to us and talk. Uh, about it, and we're happy to give you advice on it. I mean, the the large, the large majority of these are geared at the insurance company getting an opinion to say you are no longer disabled or you you are going to be no longer disabled soon or when that change of definition date comes up and that you can go back to work that is the overwhelming goal of this is to get a medical opinion that they can use to backstop a denial of your claim and to say look you can go back to work here's the medical evidence you know your doctors as well if your doctors aren't saying that uh, you have competing medical opinions which won't necessarily stop a denial so you know I always tell people if you get these letters give us a call doesn't hurt to have a chat about it um especially what what the focus of this is for the insurance company Now guys that that IME
1: Darren it's as opposed to them telling you what treatment provider to go to the IME you have to go to right you can't say no nah, I'm not in the mood guys I'm good thanks but uh no it's okay you have to go
3: with this this part of the, it's in your policy right and, and yeah, yeah. So that's a great point. And, and so like, like, like we always say, this this always goes back to the policy and, and the, mm. the vast majority, if not all of the policies will typically contain a term along the lines of, you know, so and so insurer reserves the right to send you for independent medical assessments, um, you know, at, at their convenience or, or at various points throughout your claim. And, and so if it is if it is in the wording of your policy, you do have an obligation to go just like most policies will have obligations for you to seek treatment out or to remain in treatment um and to your point on which treatment providers to go to um usually they won't have terms in there to tell you that the insurance company may try to direct you to a certain treatment provider um because maybe they have a relationship with them or they send a lot of business to them um you know who who knows what, what what the reasons would be but you are entitled to get your own treatment providers this ime falls outside of that if there's a contractual right for them to send you then then you would have to attend
1: Lots more emails on the way. Martin, I'm going to send this uh, lengthy one to you next after we just get it all rounded up and set to go here. In the meantime, uh, if you want to send an email along, Darren and uh, Martin, always there to answer them on and off air. The way you do that is uh, help at disabilityrights.ca. You can skip that or uh, combine that with a phone call. How about that? Reach out and talk to one of them and their team, 1-855-821-5900. And for short, concise memos all about the topic of LTD, there's a website built so easy to use. an anonymous of course called ltdfaq.ca we'll continue with the disability law show momentarily hang on
0: you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of chorus entertainment
1: all right, welcome back. Disability Law Show, John Scholes, along with Martin Willems and Darren Saul. They are both covering uh, things on the West Coast as far as San Fierro to Market is concerned, but the same phone number applies for every one of us across the country who need to reach out and talk about our disability insurer and things that are going on in that particular realm. How do you do it? 1 821 5900. Do not hesitate to just pick up the phone, call that number, and have a chat. It'll cost you nothing. Just to make that an opening salvo of, of issues you're having with your insurance company. These guys are always set and prepared to uh, to have a chat and talk to you. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we use every show. And beyond the show, you can use that all the time as well. Next one. Uh, guys, 52 years old. I've been an LTD and CPPD for 11 years started with having cancer and over the years other serious mental and physical impairments have developed and continue to render me disabled the insurance company essentially leaves me alone except for annual activity of daily living reports i need to complete and attending physician updates for my doctor to complete they used to ask for these every six months but now it's annually i've also been followed a few times from what i can tell by a pride of investigator over the years my primary care physician agrees I'll never be able to get back to work, and I have both objective and subjective medical evidence to support the claim. My doctor and I have discussed many times that I'll never get back to work, but he's never explicitly put that down on the insurance forms. Will the insurance company ever advise that I'm simply approved um, simply uh, that I'm simply approved until I turn 65 years old, or am I going to have to continuously keep getting these forms to fill out to prove my disabilities? Martin, what do you think, pal?
2: Well, go as we always say, we go back to the terms of the contract. And this is part of the bigger discussion that we've been having this morning. The insurance companies do have a right under the policy. In other words, it will provide that they can continue to assess the claim and you have a duty to continue to prove your claim. So your entitlement literally is monthly as long as you prove that you are totally disabled within the meaning of the policy. The insurance company has to pay you monthly benefits. I don't know what the age of this person is. Um, They've been on claim for 11 years because they could be 40, 50, 60. I don't know, but generally benefits are payable to the age of 65, but only as long as you continue to prove total disability. Will they leave him alone? I don't see that happening. Uh, I've seen cases where, and we've spoken about this in the past, um, people have been on claim for 18 years. A new overzealous case manager comes on the scene, starts to investigate the claim in a different way, and then suddenly cuts the person off, even though they had been receiving LTD and CPP for many, many years. So I know it's frustrating. It, it It's not a fun place to be because you constantly feel like you're being examined, assessed, and maybe followed because private investigators have been involved in this person's life and claim. Unfortunately, though, I don't see the insurance company simply taking a hands-off approach and we're just not going to look at this at all because things do change, right? There may be, I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but you often hear that there may be new treatments, new medications, uh, a change in a person's circumstances. We've seen during the COVID period that people are starting to work from home much more so than they did before. So situations may change, circumstances may change, medical treatments may change. So just purely from that perspective, the insurance company very likely will continue to examine the claim and assess the claim and request further evidence, even if it's only on a somewhat periodic basis, to see whether this, um, this uh, caller still qualifies for LTD benefits. But the message, of course, would be if that does change and if they do decide that we don't think you're disabled anymore please reach out to us because uh in a situation like this i don't see how we cannot assist um it is a stressful thing to go through when the insurance company continues to assess but having been on it for 11 years unfortunately that seems to be where this will go in the
1: future darren you got something to say about this one too
3: uh, I think Martin kind of covered covered the basis on this one. I think one of the key things here is, is that even if you are approved uh, until 65, they, they will continuously, you know, at, at periods dip in to check in on you, to ask for medical records, to maybe even send you for the IME we were talking about just to see if your condition has changed enough to yeah. to, uh, you know, pull you off benefits. Um, you know, so it's, it's something to always be aware of um, and, and just to be um aware of that and to to, you know if that does happen give us a call you know send in send in the documents to us give us a call uh if the insurance company is coming at you hard uh if they are sending you for more than you know after they've approved you if they're sending you for multiple examinations or they're requesting you know information from you uh on a on a more than periodic basis then then give us a call um you know it doesn't hurt to to call us and have a chat about it guys
1: let's try to get another email in before we break says uh Hey, Martin. Hey, Darren. I've been on LTD since July 1st for major depression and anxiety with an attempt at suicide. I've been on work on accommodations since 1996 for my back issues. Sitting and standing would aggravate my back (laughs) issues, causing me to go on short-term disability multiple times over past years with the same insurance company that is granting me LTD for my depression. Can I use my back issue in my long-term claim at the two-year mark? It's
2: an interesting question. You know? Yeah. When you have a disability claim, this is other than a tort claim where people would have to prove why certain things have happened to you to go for damages against a different entity. When you look at LTD cases, any disability claim, you are looking at what is called functional impairment. Why is it that the person cannot work? What are the restrictions and limitations preventing them from performing the duties of their own occupation And then generally after the two-year mark, any other occupation. And it's not just what is the reason why the person went on claim in the first instance. It is what is their medical situation? What is their functional ability at the time of that change of definition? So yes, you have to look at the medical situation, all the medical conditions from a global perspective holistically to see do they interplay with each other? Because you often, hear chronic pain feeds into depression. Depression feeds into chronic pain, and the one makes the other one worse. So uh, this person <coughs> went off work on disability with depression, have, has had, had back problems for a long period of time that has led to various periods of short-term disability. So as we know, generally, chronic pain does get worse over time. And as I said, depression feeds into that and that may make the chronic pain worse. So yes, if, we, if there is an assessment done, they have to look at everything. The chronic back pain, the depression, and any other medical impairments that there may be, because the assessment is based on functional impairment. Diagnoses are important, but that's not the most important thing. It is what prevents you from working, what are the restrictions, and what are the limitations.
1: Guys, let's take a short break. I know we got a minute, but we'll uh, tack it on the back end. Because we've got more emails coming through, but I'll uh, just get us into a break and give out some uh, some detailed information for people to reach out to you guys. 1-855-821-5900 is the phone number to reach out to Darren and Martin anytime. And the email address we're always using here on the show is help at disabilityrights.ca. And that's where we're going to continue with another email on the other side of the break here on the Disability Law Show.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program, unless otherwise identified, guests on the program or employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: Welcome back. Disability Law Show. You've got it here every week. Reading out to uh, Martin Willems or Darren Saul. They can be found and talked to. No problem. Always ready. they got a great team with them as well. one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's email address. We're getting another one from, uh, from Desiree in uh, the lovely Prince George. Says, guys, I have chronic back pain and depression. The depression I had for a number of years. But after injuring my back and after not getting better, now having chronic pain, my depression worsened. I've tried all types of therapies for my back and nothing works. My doctor says that I should try and do stretches and remain as active as I can. And he does not think surgery is an option. My depression is worsening as my back pain is not getting better. I now take two different antidepressants. I feel like I have no energy, I feel groggy, and I just want to sleep. There are days I don't want to get out of bed, and honestly, some days I don't. The insurance company says I'm not being appropriately treated and that they are cutting me off as I should be able to go to work in another job. I used to be a mechanical engineer and earning $200,000 a year. I don't believe I should be cut off from disability. Can they do this? Is a question?
3: So that is that's a great question. There's a lot to unpack here. I mean the the first thing I want to talk about is this interplay we've been it's kind of been the theme of today it seems like of uh, you know intermingling uh, injuries. So here we have chronic pain we have, the interplay with depression here and that's causing you know a, a kind of feedback loop with with uh, Desiree's um, disability and and that's not getting better her her doctor's already given her opinion that that this her surgery that surgery for her back is not an option um, and, and so with the insurance companies coming in and saying, you know you're not being appropriately treated and we're cutting you off as you should be able to work in another job there's kind of two points there is one they're they're making an, an assumption on her treatment if she's under the care of a physician and the physician has said these are the treatment options available to you and as long as you do that I mean, this goes back to the, again, the contract, the contract of insurance and and coverage will always have terms in there that will say you need to remain under the care of a physician and you need to adhere to a treatment plan of what is set out for you. So as long as she is doing that, and it it sounds like she is, um, just because there are other options out there, if they're not being recommended to you or if they're not appropriate to you, such as in this case, then I would say, you know, my, my position would be you, you you're doing what you can do, and you're doing what is medically recommended to you. The insurance company is they're not doctors. Uh, we aren't doctors. The treatment plan is set out by physicians who are qualified to do this, and you you just you follow what their advice is. Surgery may not be an option for any number of reasons. Um, risks, uh, you know, risks may outweigh the rewards, or, or or whatnot, or they may just be no net gain or benefit. You know, now that Desiree's talking, they're saying you should be going back to another job. Uh, this is kind of the second part to, to to this. Is they're saying she should be going back to another job. She should be a mechanical engineer, earn two hundred thousand dollars a year. Obviously, depression and, and chronic pain are going to make it difficult to do that profession. In most insurance contracts, what you will see, and and again, this is most insurance contracts. They'll they'll have a they'll have terms in there which set a threshold. And that is if you can work above this threshold, say 65% or 55% of your pre-disability income, you're no longer disabled. And when it comes to going back to work after the, you know, any occupation or own occupation phase, you have to look at um, comparable employment to what you used to do before in terms of training and, and everything else. And, and so here, if, if, Desiree is getting treatment from her doctor. She's under appropriate care. She's undergoing appropriate treatments as recommended to her. You know, I, I would say she's, she's okay there. And if they're trying to get her to go back to another job, it really depends on what type of job she can do and what her medical uh, treatment provider's opinions on that are. She's not required to go get a job as a Starbucks barista. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's, it's just not in line with what she did previously. Um, and this is not a reason to cut her off just because she can do something. Um, she is still disabled. She remains disabled, and if she's getting appropriate treatment, then then the insurance company should not be cutting her off. And if this is the case, I would implore Desiree to to give us a call, send us send us everything in, and and let's have a talk, let's have a chat, and see how we can help her and help her stay on disability and and protect her rights. Martin, what do you think? Go ahead. That was a great answer. You know, it, <laughs> ultimately. <laughs>
2: Uh, it's important to understand that when you have a high income earner, like Darren was saying, that there's a there's a threshold. It's the commensurate level of earnings, as we call it in the industry. It, it is something that you have to be able to make as an income. So if you're earning two hundred thousand uh, dollars, it could be sixty to seventy five percent of that, depending on on the wording of the policy. And if the policy is silent on it, then we go back to what is called the common law position. So if Desiree is unable to work as a mechanical engineer, is there another job out there that's going to pay her 120 to 140 thousand dollars? Considering that she has depression, considering that she has days where she cannot get out of bed, the chronic pain, as we said before, there's this feedback into each other. It's both are worsening the other one, so it, it, it's not. It's not something that sounds to me like Desiree would be able to go and work in another occupation considering the cognitive demanding job that she had before and working in another job that pays you over $100,000 a year is also going to be something that demands you to be focused, be able to concentrate, and be able to you know, manage duties, multitask, et cetera. And these are the things which we call restrictions and limitations that I don't see. I'm not a doctor, but I don't see that happening for Desiree. And if they were to deny her, uh, I think this is a case we could definitely assist with, and I'm convinced that we would have the she would have the doctor support that she remains disabled within the meaning of this policy.
1: Guys, great stuff. We got two minutes. I'm going to get this last email. This might be the shortest email we've ever had. So here it comes. <laughs> Can I move out of the country? That's it.
2: Uh, that is a good question. Uh, <laughs> you know, again. <laughs> Like we say with every uh, question, it depends on the wording of the policy. In general sense, obviously this question means can I move out of the country and continue to receive benefits, I would assume. So the policy, most policies do provide that uh, you can leave the country for a specified period of time. Some may say 30 days, some may say three months. Um, And if the policy is silent on it, then again, it's a good question. Uh, Another thing that should be set there, though, is if you do leave the country remember the insurance company is going to look at the capacity to travel the insurance company is going to look at whether you continue to remain under active treatment continue to see a physician continue to follow through with medical treatment i have a number of clients who do leave the country and i always implore them when they do do that uh, make sure that you have your doctor's support to do that and if you do go make sure that you continue to follow through with treatment advice these days, being in the global community that we are, you do have medical, uh, medical visits with your doctor remotely, and if there's treatment required, like counseling, that can be done remotely, and other physical therapies that are available in other countries. But make sure that you review the policy first. If you have difficulty with that, speak to us first. We can do it with you, and then tell you what the policy says on that front. But if you do do this, this may raise some red flags for the insurance company, because they are going to look at your capacity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Guys, fantastic as always. This hour goes so quickly, but uh, we thank you as well for your uh, email questions. We want to keep sending those along to the guys and their team. They can help you out. Martin Willems and Darren Saul, always uh, always there to reach out to one That is the number. Help at disabilityrights.ca email address. And for any other questions, you can ask anonymously and search to see if it has been asked before. It's a nice uh, little fringe benefit of mydisabilityquestions.com. That searchable database. You use that at your leisure as well. And We'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.